0: If I may begin in our own language, so enchant some May I first of all say that I'm standing in for my wife Sabina Coyne. Sabina uh, unfortunately is attending a family funeral that is associated with with, with her brother. Bush, and she very, very much uh, wants to send you her regards. She very, very much enjoys uh, these meetings. I think taking advantage of the serendipity uh, I'm very glad to have the opportunity of speaking to myself and particularly this particular week uh, is, uh, I wanted really to just say just a few words about what I think is maybe one of the most important issues in relation to women's health. Uh, we are in the middle of a 16 f- day period that has been suggested by the Secretary-General of the United Nations, agreed by the United Nations, as a period in which we should make a reflection on violence against women. And this reflection began two days, three days ago, on International Day to End Violence Against Women. I, so... Uh, me, uh, short, in the previous period of the presidency, I was invited by the Secretary-General of the United Nations to be one of the leaders, to be a he-for-she leader addressing these issues on women's equality, including the, the, the issues of violence. But I'm very, very pleased, therefore, that. Uh, to be able to stand in for my wife, Sabina Coyne, and uh, host a reception this morning, welcome to the International Women's Club of Dublin, uh, on a week when we are in fact making this reflection. And the sheer diversity of experiences that are represented here. It's a wonderful day, I hope you've got one of the brighter November days, uh, and uh, I hope that you uh, enjoyed the trip. The occasion, as I said, uh, uh, provides a valuable opportunity to reflect on, as I said, the current state of affairs in relation to gender equality and the issue of violence against women and girls. Why did I pick this theme? Uh, Because I think we're not winning. Uh, I I very shortly will be issuing possibly an invitation to different groups that I had here before that I'd asked to consider this issue as to where we stand. And while a number of good organisations have come into being, some people are working very hard, I cannot say that we're winning and some of the recent facts have in fact been very disturbing. Sabine and, my, and I uh, have spent many, many decades now in public life, but we both have been very acutely aware that it is a struggle that can't be overcome as long as there continue to be thousands of women, and indeed men, who live lives as victims of unprovoked violence, indeed often finding themselves trapped in cruel relationships, relationships that they have made, entered into with so much joy and hope Uh, for the future. And I think if there has been a source of hope, it has been that the light has begun to shine a bit better on what was a previously uh, hidden area. But violence against women and girls, it's one of the most widespread and persistent and devastating human rights violations in the world today. Kofi Annan, the Secretary-General of the United Nations in 2006, in that report that he published on the United Nations Development Fund for Women said, violence against women and girls is a problem, and his words are very careful, of pandemic proportions. At least one out of every three women around the world has been beaten, coerced into sex, or otherwise abused in her lifetime, with the abuser, usually someone known to her. Violence and abuse impoverishes lives. It is often inflicted by those to whom victims are intimately related or connected, thus making their homes not places of safety and security that they should be, but spaces defined by angst and fear and uncertainty. And internationally, violence has become a weapon of war with rape of women and men reported in several recent accounts, such as that which occurred in Sudan in June of this year. And this is increasing. Violence is not inherent in the human being. My previous academic training is as a sociologist, and you would be very, very little, a very, very short time studying any of these areas without realising. That there is nothing essential in violence. It is a learned, copied, in, imitated, absorbed behavior, and sometimes lodged in an insidious acculturation process. That violence is often now correctly considered a form of hate crime, committed against women, or girls specifically, because they are female, and it can take many forms. Since I wrote this last night, I've been thinking about something else, about even in relation to the long history of climate change and how we came to the disastrous, catastrophic point where we are now. It is not unrelated to the fact that nature herself was referred to as a woman, natura, and so forth, and gaia, and so forth, and so on. And violence against women and gender-based violence, more generally, It has a long and documented history, and the incident and intensity may have varied over time. But we are not now, I repeat this is why I, I just took this opportunity this morning, we are not now moving towards its elimination. Violence is in too many member states of the United Nations. It's allowed to prevail as a mechanism for the subjugation of women, whether in society in general or in interpersonal relationships and such violence may be sourced in ignorance and even at times invoked as a tradition uh, or part of a culture. It is none of these things, it is simply and always an abuse of rights, an abuse of a sense of, it is uh, uh, invoked through a sense of entitlement, superiority, misogyny or similar attitudes in the perpetrator or because of a violent set of circumstances in a a violent nature, especially against women. I have spent all my life dealing with matters of culture as a former President of the Council of Culture Ministers in the European Union. There never was any ever shred of evidence that suggested that there could ever be any cultural rationalisation for gender violence and unfortunately that point has not been widely accepted and implemented by Member States of the United Nations and, indeed, as we have most recently seen, by all members of the European Union. Twenty-four years ago, the 1993 United Nations Declaration on the Elimination of Violence Against Women was the first major international document that highlighted the recognition of violence against women as a human rights violation And it resulted from the collective efforts of a global feminist movement to transform the Vienna Conference from a general and mainstream human rights conference into a conference on women's rights. I clearly recall it. I've had two very distinguished predecessors as President of Ireland, President Maclees, President Robinson. I think I was at that conference and President Robinson was acting as rapporteur for many of the sessions. But that declaration stated, violence against women is a manifestation of historically unequal power relations between men and women. And violence against women is one of the crucial social mechanisms by which women are forced into a subordinate position compared with men. I still believe now, in 2019, 24 years on, that women's rights are one of the great ethical challenges of our time. The international community has failed women, and by failing women, failed humanity. And that is why it is so important that these have had to feature so prominently yet again in the work of the United Nations, including the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. And as part of that agenda, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, yes they are the blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all. It is indeed a great moment, those moments in 2015, a blueprint to achieve, as I have said, a moment of global solidarity and empathy. They address the international contemporary challenges we face, including those related to poverty. Inequality, climate, environment, prosperity, peace, and justice. And they're all interconnected. We had a seminar recently here in Orison-Hooktoro and Uctro addressed by people like Ian Gough, author of Heat, Greed, and Human Need, and Mariana Mazzucato and others, in which showed the interconnection between all of these different issues. Now, goal number five that I've been referring to is signed up to by 193 nations of the United Nations which came into effect on 1 January 2016 and it called on all the nations of the world to achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. Gender equality is not only a fundamental human right but it is, as is clear from what that discussion showed in 2015, a necessary foundation for a peaceful, prosperous and sustainable world. And achieving gender equality Yes, it will require enforceable legislation that promotes empowerment of all women and girls and requires secondary education for example for all girls. The targets contained within the 2030 Agenda call for an end to gender discrimination and for empowering women and girls. The assertion is that the goals can deliver transformative change for girls only if girls are consulted, their priorities and needs taken into account and therefore girls should be regarded not just as the beneficiaries of change but actually as the agents of change. And engaging women and girls in the implementation of the Sustainable Development Goals is therefore crucial. I think, and I'm coming to this, is that over two decades on now, 20 years from the World Conference on Women in Beijing and a subsequent Committee on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, world leaders have, through the 2030 Agenda, decisively reaffirmed their commitment to achieving gender equality and to the empowerment of all women and girls. But where does this bring us? This agenda, about which Sabine and I have felt so passionately, is firmly grounded in human rights instruments, such as the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, and is rightly and necessarily ambitious, universal and transformative in nature. I'm not worried about the word ambitious. I couldn't be ambitious enough. But the word universal is troublesome because that is what's being resisted, and on the wrong basis, and insufficiently transformative. For yet, despite the adoption of the convention, violence against women and girls is now a pervasive problem worldwide still. In a 2014 study entitled Violence Against Women. A European Union-wide survey, the European Union's Fundamental Rights Agency, reported one in seven women in Ireland have experienced physical violence by a partner since the age of 15, and that more than one-third of women have experienced psychological violence. Shockingly, some 50,000 women a year are killed by their partners or ex-partners, according to a global study on gender-related killing of women and girls, that was released in, released in November 2018 by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime. Changing the law is one thing, getting adequate legislation is of course important, but we must continue to raise public awareness about the issue, as well as increasing, as I have said, both policy-making and resources dedicated to ending violence against women and girls worldwide. Yet there is still a long way to go on the global scale, To date, many countries have yet to outlaw domestic violence, 37 countries worldwide still exempt rape perpetrators from prosecution if they are married to or eventually marry the victim, 49 countries currently have no laws protecting women from domestic violence. In 2017 the European Union and the United Nations launched the Spotlight Initiative which aims to eliminate all forms of violence against women and girls by raising the awareness of this issue. And I do welcome and support those leaders of faith systems who have issued explicit condemnation of gender violence and, in particular, recent condemnations of female genital manipulation and how important it would be if this issue was in fact one now that was one of global condemnation. There has, I know, been a steady increase, of course, in the number of women helped by various organisations dedicated to the promotion of women's rights. And this underlines the prevalence of gender-based abuse in our society and the many people, including children, who are regularly experiencing or witnessing brutality and aggression in their own homes. You are in the home of the President of Ireland, where I have to say as well, there's been a very unwelcome increase in the aggression in language itself and in the deterioration of public discourses in relation to choices that are exercised by the public. The language of our times is violent. I think that many cases is indicates that violence inside the home is however late now progressively getting the level of public recognition it deserves, and that is good. And I, it's what the good news is, is that victims are feeling more encouraged to seek assistance and to make the decision to no longer suffer quietly behind closed doors. And maybe it is too that there is a violence in the structures of our society that we've been unable to, in fact, address. Why should we have, for example, after all of this time, continuing global poverty, exclusion, trafficking, so forth, was there ever anything natural about that, inevitable, or did we make it inevitable through our refusal to confront it? At a time when women's rights are under increasing threat from the rise of the right and from extremist groups who seek to enslave rather than empower women, there is a compelling need to renew the collective commitment made in Beijing two decades ago to condemn such violence whenever and wherever it occurs and to consider more deeply what remains to be done if we are to achieve even the most basic of women's rights. So let us be clear, we cannot achieve... The sustainable development goals and have these launches and all the rest of it if we do not achieve gender equality, if we do not enable the true empowerment of women and girls worldwide. Our declarations will be shown to have been hollow rhetoric and it is disappointing that after so many United Nations appeals that the outrage of gender violence is continuing, that opposition to its elimination is growing in certain parts, including in the European Union, where we no longer can have a universal condemnation of violence against women in some parts of the Union. Indeed, it could be argued that we've regressed on the issue of violence against women. I mean, what is to be our answer to those who ask us, why do 50 women per week in the European Union, why are they murdered by partners or ex-partners? What does it tell us about our Union? So we must therefore change and gather momentum in our change, so that we can realise tangible results in this area. Domestic violence is an outright negation of the dignity and the rights of its victims. There is, I repeat, no cultural defence acceptable for it in any form or tradition. We are speaking about the vindication of a basic right. Our collective journey towards true democracy indeed in our case towards an island defined by equality and any spirit of shared humanity, is not complete and will never be complete if those abuses of the gravest sort are tolerated or if they are ignored or evaded, if silence is allowed to prevail around them. Let us all then commit to vindication of what has been agreed at the United Nations. Call out nations and institutions who covertly or overtly make violence acceptable, Let us walk in solidarity with those in our society who suffer from emotional and physical abuse and do all we can to raise awareness of this most important issue. I say all these words on behalf of myself as President of Ireland and on behalf of my wife Sabina Coyne because we have worked together on these issues for decades. And on her behalf in particular, my apologies, her apologies again that she cannot be with you this morning, and for her too, I thank her for allowing me the opportunity of using this space. But you're most welcome this morning to the Auras. And I wish you, all of you, in all of your different circumstances, and in your different parts of our shared and vulnerable planet, all the very best in your future endeavours. Thank you.